Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Palm Peeps. We are here with another Rapid Fire Journal Club episode. We are excited and lucky always to be joined by Associate Editor Luke Hedrick. Luke, how's uh, sunny uh, Atlanta doing? Good. It was much warmer than uh, residency back up in Boston. It's been yeah, good. Just, happy to be back. Yeah, you burned your like very down winter coat or something like that. Exactly. For a reminder, these Rapid Fire Journal Club episodes are meant to be short, 10 to 15 minutes episodes discussing a landmark trial with some infographics that you can look at and store and say, hey, here's the data behind some of the practices we do. And today we're going to be talking about the lung health study in JAMA in 1994. And we're going to actually be talking about some subsequent analyses of that landmark study as well. So Luke, why don't you start by telling us just the background? What did we know before this study and what were we still trying to answer? Yeah, so the, the background for this study was at the time we knew that COPD involved airway hyperreactivity and the gradual loss of lung function. And we also knew that spontaneous smoking cessation slowed that decline in lung function. But we didn't know whether a smoking intervention could replicate that or if there was something different about people who spontaneously stopped smoking that explained that improvement. We also didn't know if treating bronchospasm, which is that kind of downstream consequence of airway hyperreactivity, would, if that would help their future lung function either. Yeah, I love this type of trial because you're really taking some big assumptions that we make in medicine and saying, hey, is this true? We obviously are going to do smoking cessation, but how much are these programs actually beneficial? And these inhalers, how much are they disease modifying versus uh, just symptoms that we're treating? So great to always be investigating these in a more systematic fashion. Uh, so why don't you tell us a bit about the study design? Yeah, so it was a multi-center RCT that ran from October 1986 to April 1994. The primary outcome was the rate of change and the cumulative change in the FEV1 at five years. And then there have been a number of subsequent analyses that we'll talk briefly about that have looked at cardiovascular disease outcomes at five years, lung function at 11 years, and mortality at 14 and a half years. Yeah, this is great. FEV1 certainly being the main marker, especially at that time of disease severity, less using some of the sort of clinical classifications and still a huge marker of the obstructive severity that we have. I love the cardiovascular disease outcome. Uh, as we know, most patients who die from COPD and emphysema die of cardiovascular disease. So it's got to be something we have on our mind, even when we're thinking about their lung disease. And then mortality at 14 and a half years, that's a huge long-term outcome from the subsequent analysis that we can get some great answers to. All right, so we have the study design and set up. We know what questions we're trying to answer. Who are the patients that we enroll in the study? Yeah, so they, in general, the patients they enrolled were non-elderly, otherwise healthy smokers with mild to moderately severe COPD that were not on therapy already. So they included people between the age of 35 and 60. On average, they were around 48 years old who smoked at least 10 cigarettes on any given day in the last 30. They averaged around 31 cigarettes a day, so a little more than a, around a pack and a half per day. The FEV1, FEC ratio had to be 70% or less, and then their FEV1 had to be between 55 and 90% predicted, and on average in enrollment was around 75% predicted. They excluded anybody who was already using bronchodilators, anyone who was on a beta blocker, and any other serious disease that they were worried would affect lung function or follow-up. 
That's great. And part of the reason I absolutely love this study is that I feel like this is the patient who you often see in clinic, right? Like they're a smoker, they're starting to have symptoms, they have obstruction, they have about gold one or gold two obstruction severity based on their FEV1. And so now they're starting to seek care. They may be still smoking and they haven't been on any treatments yet. And so this is great for like your first time seeing in COPD clinics, you can advise them based on the uh, data we have from this trial. So super important is the type of intervention we're doing. And I think for this trial, especially when we think about smoking cessation, obviously the interventions are very broad that we can use and they vary in intensity. So what kind of intervention did the researchers use in this trial? So they randomized around 1,500 patients to one of three groups, either usual care, which just was whatever the clinicians were planning to do then, there was no specific intervention, a second group of smoking intervention and inhaled ipratropium. And then a third group that was the smoking intervention and an inhaled placebo. And then in terms of what they actually did for the smoking intervention, because the devil's in the details here, suffice to say that it was intensive. For a detailed breakdown, I would encourage you to just look at the original paper. But in general, there were group meetings, there was behavioral modification techniques, they did nicotine replacement therapy, there was a relapse prevention program, on-demand treatment for relapses. And then I think a key detail that we often forget about, at least I'll use I statements, I forget about in clinic a lot, is significant others were also included, that there's a social or communal aspect to what folks are doing. Yeah, that's huge. I feel like that's something we don't even do often enough is that you can get the same type of intervention for a significant other or partner, and that's going to be a huge motivator. Certainly, I have never gotten someone to quit smoking when their partner is still an active smoker. It's just too hard. So really interesting thing that they included. And then to note, they were using ipratropium, so a short-acting llama as the inhaler here. Certainly, this is not the type of therapy that we would use up front now based on gold criteria, but they are getting a bronchodilator therapy that they're getting as inhaled intervention. So certainly some medication that we're getting to take a look at. All right, so 5,900 patients, it's a huge number of patients that we get to study, way bigger than most of the pulmonary studies we get to look at. Uh, so what outcomes did we see from these interventions? Yeah, just like you mentioned, it's a really big group. And then they had remarkably good follow-up. People were not really lost to follow-up in this study, which is part of what let them do a lot of these subsequent analyses that we'll get at in just a second. So after the initial five-year study was done, we had spirometry data on over 94% of patients. And we knew the vital status on whether they were alive or not on 99.6% of them. In terms of smoking cessation itself, the sustained cessation rate in the intervention arm was about 22% at the five-year mark compared to just 5% in the usual care group. There were a slightly higher rate of adverse effects in the inhaler group. Around 1.2% of patients had some side effect versus 0.8% uh, using, using placebo. Those were vague, uh, mostly was hypertension, skin rashes, some urinary retention, and then this kind of catch-all cardiac symptoms. In terms of their lung function, the rate of FEV1 decline was significantly different between the groups at year one. So everyone who was in a smoking cessation intervention actually increased their FEV1 at that first visit. And people getting in protropium, that increase was about three times higher than the people getting the placebo. While in the usual care group, folks actually lost about 34-ish uh, milliliters at that first visit. 
Yeah, that's great. One, that, that's a pretty remarkably good smoking cessation intervention, 22% uh, five years. Obviously, it doesn't sound amazing that we're only getting a fifth of people to be, say, sustained, but getting people to quit smoking is really hard, especially in a, a fashion like this. You're not using medication adjunct therapy for it. This is pretty fantastic to answer our question. And so just to delve into that a little bit, so you said the group that quit smoking, quit smoking did the best compared to the control. And then actually the inhaler uh, did a little bit better in terms of FEV1 decrease than the placebo. Uh, what happened after they ended up stopping their inhaler? Yeah. So this, I think, is a really key point from this paper. When they first started and they got the ipratropium and the smoking cessation, their FEV1 increase was greater than the people who got the placebo inhaler. But at the end of the study, when they let it wash out and they repeated spirometry, there was a proportional decrease in the FEV1. And so it seemed like that benefit from the bronchodilator was not a permanent effect on the airway. It was really just there while they were using the drug. Yeah, this is such an important point that it certainly is helping while they're using it. But the disease modifying factor really seems to be the smoking cessation. You're not getting this long-term remodeling or disease modification just from the addition of the inhaler alone. And there's a, there's an implication there too, that because they're not disease modifying, if someone is asymptomatic or doesn't have obstruction, you're probably not going to benefit them from using this inhaler. Yeah, that's great. And we will do in the future rapid fire journal club, the study of people who are smokers without obstruction and whether a llama ends up impacting their symptoms or exacerbation rate, but more to come later on. So tell us about some of these more subsequent analysis and long-term outcomes that are clinically relevant. Yeah. So when looking at the cardiovascular disease outcomes at five years, smokers had a 50 to 70% higher hazard of fatal or non-fatal cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Unbelievable. 50 to 70% higher. This is something you can tell your patients right now. It's like you are this old. And if five years when you are X age, if you want to reduce your risk at half of having a cardiovascular event, which most people are really worried about, this is the thing to do. And so like really nice to help stress important um, numbers when you're trying to help someone understand the scope of the health benefits they can have from quitting smoking. And so then thinking about the more longer term outcomes at 11 years, we had spirometry data on 77% of the surviving participants. Their smoking mm -hmm. habits converged, but interestingly, 93% of those who quit during the original study were still abstinent at 11 years. So the people that they got to help quit during the original study, that was like a really sustained benefit over a decade. Yeah, that's amazing. And what happened to the lung function? Yeah. So the same differences in lung function between the treatment groups persisted. I think it is neatly summed up by the observation that at 11 years, 38% of continuing smokers had an FEV1 under 60% compared to just 10% of sustained quitters. Yeah. And remember too, that the context here at baseline in enrollment, their FEV1s were like 75%. So that's a really big difference. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's a nice point that you can say is, to tell people, not only will you probably live longer, you're probably going to feel a lot better if your FEV1 really doesn't get below that critical point um, where it starts impacting all of your activities. Certainly, we don't have a dyspnea scale here to say that for sure, but a good point we could probably extrapolate. All right. So finally, uh, in terms of that long-term mortality that they looked at, what did that analysis show? Yeah. So remarkably, they had mortality data on 98% of patients at 14 and a half years, which is mind-blowing. Hmm. At that point, Mortality was higher in the usual care group. The hazard ratio was 1.18. The confidence interval ran from 1.02 to 1.37. 
And then those differences were even more stark when you stratified people by their current smoking status. It's great. I think we always know that smoking is really bad for you and that quitting smoking is going to extend your life. But oftentimes patients really want to know what is this kind of data show or can you say this for certain? And I think this is a great answer that we say that if you do an intensive smoking cessation, you are doing real benefit to yourself to decrease your mortality in the long term, which obviously is important to most people. So Luke, what do you take away from this study? What are the major points that you uh, bring home? So the, the takeaways for me, I think there are three kind of big ones. The first is that bronchodilators are likely not disease modifying. The second, that smoking cessation interventions can successfully increase quit rates and that those quit rates are durable for a number of people. And then the third being that smoking cessation dramatically reduces your risk of cardiovascular disease, the rate of your lung function loss, and your all-cause mortality. That's great. Thank you so much, Luke. I think that first point is really interesting about bronchodilators. Certainly, if you guys haven't listened to our episode on the ethos trial, thinking about how inhalers can influence your disease and your clinical outcomes, we encourage you to take a listen. But just having been on short-acting agent that bronchodilates and has a short-term effect is not going to have this long-term effect. And so you can tell patients with COPD that, hey, just using this inhaler, if you're still smoking and it's just this that you're using for symptoms, is not something that's actually treating the underlying lung disease itself. It's just making you feel better in that short term. And then some great data supporting the fact that smoking cessation in an intensive way can really help people quit and help improve cardiovascular disease outcomes and all-cause mortality and lung function. All right. Thank you, Luke, for taking us through this trial. We're excited uh, for the next one and everybody else, make sure that you tune in. And if you have any questions, tweet us, email us, send it out, and we'll make sure we try to address them. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave.